The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Prospect Podcast. I'm Clay Link, alongside RotoWire.com's lead prospect writer, James Anderson. Our second go at this, James. We are re-recording after some technical difficulties earlier in the day. Uh, James, I know this is not an ideal way to spend your Wednesday night re-recording with me, but that just wasn't going to stand. Uh, we couldn't stand for that. So back at it, round number two. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a second take, so hopefully our <laughs> analysis will be even sharper. Uh, second time around. Yeah, I feel like mine was not not on point anyway, so maybe this is a blessing in disguise. But James, <laughs> our main topic of discussion is Monday's Rotowire Magazine mock draft, which was a lot of fun. Quite a few takeaways too, and really this was I'd done a few like twelve teamers in terms of mocks. Um, <clears throat> thankfully, I was invited to do a few, but this is my first ten uh, fifteen team mock. So this was kind of a, a little bit of a rude awakening in the late rounds, just seeing just picking through the scraps trying to find a few diamonds in the rough i think i did that and we'll talk about a lot of them but i mentioned in the draft room i always go back and 
cringe at some of these picks, and I, I feel like this year will be no different, but this is really where you, you find who you like, who you don't, and, and kind of where you stand on a lot of guys relative to others. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I was actually more prepared for this year's magazine mock than I have ever been in the past because I kind of, like, just with the quarantine and the the lack of, like, first pitch Arizona and stuff like that, I've just had more time to really kind of dig in on, on redraft stuff. And I, I put out the super early top 400 after doing a couple 15-team uh, draft champions, so... I felt pretty prepared. I, I sort of knew going in what I was probably going to end up doing. And um, it was still tough because it's, it's a really loaded room, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, those end game picks are pretty fascinating. And we'll see how they look. I mean, not even this time next year, but you know, come March or April, whenever the season gets underway, we'll see which one of those guys. I mean, there may be some guy who skyrockets there. There may be some guys who aren't even playing in the big leagues who were drafted, so we'll see. Uh, James, by the way, our draft content launched, and your first year player, uh, first year player draft analysis, uh, and a lot of content coming up soon. You want to explain a little bit about that, and we'll, we'll maybe talk more about it at the end. But I did want to mention that because the draft rollout for 2021 has begun. Yeah, the, I mean the draft kit for for those who do redraft is up and ready to roll. Um, I am working on the first-year player draft content uh, for those of you in Dynasty Leagues. I know most uh, Dynasty Leagues don't do the, aren't going to do the first-year player draft this year until at least after January 15th when a lot of these guys are going to sign. Um, but got a lot of preview stuff uh, for that that should be up on the site before the end of the year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just in general, there's a lot of great stuff up right now uh, that's worth checking out. Absolutely. Jeff's projections, my top 300 which I definitely battle-tested in this mock draft. Also, your prospect rankings and Ian Kahn's dynasty rankings. Uh, Batting orders, which were cleaned up, ready to roll, closers and waiting, a lot of good stuff. So definitely sign up uh, if you haven't yet and check all that out. This is just the first wave of content, too. mentioned that during the the first take of the show, but there will be more, more outlooks, more content added almost every day from now through draft season but james let's talk a little bit about this magazine mock draft from monday said it was 15 teams i'll just run through the list here in the order of uh, those who drafted so derek van riper our good friend leading things off you know i have to thank derek for most of my early breaks in the biz uh you know he knows that i appreciate that but i don't feel like i don't tell him that enough so just wanted to say that steve gardner of usa today Jeff Erickson, of course, of Rotowire, Eric Carabell of ESPN, Eddie Almaguer, Prospects Live, Ian Kahn of The Athletic and Rotowire, Greg Ambrosius of the NFBC, then Ryan Bloomfield picking eighth of Baseball HQ, Jason Collette of Rotowire and Fangraphs, Paul Spore, at Spore, of course you know him, uh, me, you, 11-12, Jeff Zimmerman picking 13th, and then Brett Sayer, 14th, and Todd Zola finishing things off, so... Uh, any surprises early on in this draft for you? No, I mean, it, it was too sharp of a room for anything wild to be happening uh, early on. I, I even tweeted before the draft got underway that I expected to get some combination of Story and Yelich with my first pick and some combination or, or one or the other of Lucas Giolito and 
Luis Castillo with my second pick, and that went like exactly how I thought it was going to go. Um, kind of, I'm not saying like I crushed the draft, but it it did unfold pretty much exactly how I how I thought it would. I know you said previously that you have Trevor Story in that kind of Big Twelve, and I don't because I really just fear the Colorado Rockies are going to kind of fold it in and say, "Hey, we can't." We're having some troubles moving Nolan Arenado in this massive deal. Let's try to cash in on story. And the road numbers, you know, for his career, not great, but he could land, as you've suggested, maybe in New York or another favorable hitting environment. And you know he's going to run. So it's it's hard to see that being a, a bad pick. But I am a little bit lower on story. In fact, have him in the second round. Uh, I, I went with Shane Bieber, Bryce Harper, Flaherty Springer as a top four. Then I was kind of panicking a little bit. It is a mock draft, but wondering where the heck I'm going to get my speed. Bryce is going to run a little bit. I got Jose Altuve, Tommy Edmond, Leody Tavares, but it was kind of a situation where after round four, I knew I was going to be light in the category. It's just a, how much can I make up and how much do I want to try to make up? What was your approach with speed beyond Trevor Story? Uh, well, my, my general strategy uh, for 15 team leagues this year is that I'm probably not going to take a position player in the first 10 rounds or so that I don't think can get me double digit steals. Uh, the one guy that I, I do kind of have circled uh, who I would take in the third round uh, if it, if he fit my team is, is Eloy Jimenez and he obviously is not going to steal bases, but in general, like I, I am going after outfielders and middle infielders and pitchers really in those first 10 rounds. I, I mean, there are a few exceptions, but generally that's where you're getting your speed. And I do think you have to, to attack pitching pretty aggressively in the first uh, eight to ten rounds. And that's that's what I did. I went Trevor Story, Tim Anderson, Kettle Marte as my first three hitters. Uh, had five pitchers on board before I took my fourth hitter, and that was Will Myers. And then followed that up with Ramon Laureano. So. Uh, I mean, it won't all break this way, but it could break that all five of my first hitters steal double-digit bases, and a, and a couple of those guys might steal 20-plus. So um, that's that's sort of how I am attacking it, if at all possible. So you kind of take exception to the George Springer, Jose, uh, Pete Alonzo tandem I, I picked up. Just be, At least you're not going to be targeting guys like that in those ranges, or in this range, because they don't get you any steals. And I can see that. I do think Pete Alonzo... Uh, maybe not head and shoulders, but a head up on a lot of those first base types. You kind of want to wait at first base generally. It's, it's mostly just that I love some of the values late. Like a lot of the guys that popped for me when I was doing my, my early prep were late first baseman. Um, like I, I love Rowdy Telez. I did not expect Eddie Almaguer to take him in the 14th round. That was probably the highest he's gone in an NFBC draft so far. Um, I love Brandon Belt, uh, Carlos Santana, Gary Cooper, uh, Nate Lowe, all those guys going outside of the top 300. I'd be fine starting any of those guys in a 15 team league. Uh, and I think, you know, they're not going to, like, I love Pete Alonso. I think he's going to have a better year than he did last year. Uh, I love Luke Voigt, but I loved Luke Voigt last year when I was getting him everywhere, like in the 200s. Um, He's not as uh, he's not as exciting to me if I have to use a fourth or fifth round pick on him. 
Um, just because it, like the three category guys, like Pete Alonzo, Luke Voigt, Matt Olson, all really good players, but they're guys who in standard five by five are basically three category guys. They're going to help you in home runs, RBI runs. Uh, they're not going to win you batting average. They're not going to do anything uh, stealing bases. So I think the three category guys are the guys that you can pound in those middle rounds. You're not going to get the same amount of home runs as you are going to get from Alonzo. Uh, not the same amount of counting stats you're going to get from Luke Boyd if he, if he stays healthy and everything. But um, I just, I don't think you can pass up those early picks. That's the only place where you can get the, the hitters who you can reliably bank on for power and speed without killing your batting average. You know, you make a really good point and I hear everything you're saying. I, I feel like the price is on like Pete Alonso. I also drafted Paul Goldschmidt, Christian Walker. He was a late guy and kind of fits into that same mold you were just talking about. But I do find, or I'm finding at least early on in this draft season that the prices on Pete Alonso and Paul Goldschmidt, I think are cost effective. I, I like Goldie this year just as a guy who's lost all of his shine. He's not going to run anymore, but uh, going to hit for a high average, maybe some more power to still in there than he's shown in recent years. Um, so yeah, I, I get what you're saying at first. I, I just liked some of those middle values. I think Alonzo, I mean, everything was fine with him. It was just kind of a small sample variance. You know, he's going to hit for elite power, but yeah, the, the stolen base contributors on my team, Altuve, I, I still think he's going to chip in some bags because the sprint speed is still 89th percentile. So he, I, I feel like I can count on him for some Tommy Edmond. I know you, you've been an Edmond fan, Leody Tavares. Uh, then it gets pretty thin. Colton Wong, do you think if I am in like a main event scenario that I'm just, I just don't have enough speed, or do you think I have enough to at least hang around, maybe add somebody in Fab, or is this approach just not going to work in an overall prize uh, contest? I think it can work. Uh, I think you, you know, if you get a, if, if Colton Wong bounces back to like 2019 levels, and the Odie Tavares hits like 240. Um, both those things could happen. I mean, I think you're, you're totally fine in speed if that happens. Um, I do like Tommy Edmond. I, it's kind of annoying to me that Edmond is not getting discounted at all compared to where he was going last year, even though he had a down year. Um, so I, like I, I was kind of hoping that eligibility is pretty great. He does. He has the best (laughs) positional eligibility on the board. Um, does he have four position in NFPC? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, so yeah, I, that, that part's nice, but, um, I mean, what, so we also, I think we also had a strategy difference a little bit on the pitching side. I, to me, I, I'm not as worried about your stolen bases, um, as I am just like your, I, I would have approached pitching a little bit differently. Uh, you and I approached it the exact same, uh, through the first four rounds. We both left the first four rounds with two pitchers we really like. Uh, I got Lucas Giolito and Zach Gallen in the second and fourth. You got Shane Bieber in the first and Jack Flaherty in the third. Um, but then I went um, for one of the big closers in Aroldis Chapman and then Sandy Alcantara and, and Pablo Lopez all within the first eight rounds. And then I really went after hitting, whereas you kind of went after hitting after getting Flaherty and then we're going after the, the pitchers kind of in the middle rounds. Yeah, I'm kind of okay getting two locked-in guys that I feel like are aces, and I still feel like Flaherty's in that range, and then kind of waiting off and, and picking up at the end. I do want to get two really good 
relievers. Now, I got two guys who aren't necessarily locked into the closer role in James Krinchak and Devin Williams, but these are two of the best relievers in the game. If they get the role, they could take off, and these could both be tremendous values. And while we haven't seen it with Krinchak, I mean, they they cut Brad Hand. They non-tendered him when he had a – or I guess they declined an option that was very reasonable – Maybe they bring him back at a reduced cost, but this team does not seem to be adding expensive pieces, this Cleveland team. So I feel like Karinczak's pretty much a lock to slide in, and I also feel like Devin Williams should be a closer in in the big leagues. We'll see if it happens. I I like Marco Gonzalez, who I got on the starting pitching side. Tony Gonsolin is one of my favorite targets. Uh, Kwong Hyun Kim of St. Louis, really good year. Not a ton of Ks, but I like him. Yusei Kikuchi. Uh, Daniel Bard, I got as a third closer. Justice Sheffield. So I feel like I feel like there's not a ton separating the Chris Paddocks of the world. Uh, I'm not a big Paddock guy at all. Uh, I'm trying to look at who else was in this range of starting pitchers. David Price, like I mean, Price is okay. Montas has questions. I just feel like that range is kind of up in the air. Well, so maybe I'll pick a what's left after those those names are off the board. McCullers. The, the re- the reason I don't like, like the reason why I went the way I did is because I think that that's like a range. I just don't like taking a picture in uh, a starting picture because I just think the the quality of picture you're getting from rounds like 11 through 18. I mean, I don't love all the pictures that go in there, but I can find one in every round who I think is about as good as the one that went the round before them. I just, I think you're, everyone gets to that point after they've loaded up on the hitters where they're like, all right, time to go get pitching. And then it just like, I like Marco Gonzalez a lot, but the fact that he has to be taken in the 12th round is a statement of how quickly pitching dries up. And just the fact that he can be trusted to throw six innings, every start pushes him up into this range. But like, you know, I I got Herman Marquez in like the 16th round I would take him over lots of pitchers who went like a few rounds ahead of him. That, that's not to say that like that Marquez pick was a steal, but I just think inevitably there's going to be a guy I like in round 16, round 17, round 18, who I like just as much as whoever I would have taken in round 12 or round 13. Yeah. Another good point. And I, you know, I love you, buddy. I just differ with you on this because I feel like Marco Gonzalez does not get enough love. And for an example, you took Randall Gritchick right before I took Marco Gonzalez, and Gonzalez has won a ton of games past couple years, and I'd rather take a guy like that than an outfielder like Grichik, who I don't know if there's a lot separating him from a guy like, you know, Kirilov, who I got later. I mean, maybe Kirilov takes off Benintendi, uh, Schwarber. So I just, you know, in that range, I don't really like a ton of the hitters. So I I am kind of wanting to get Marco and, and Tony Gonsolin. I think Gonsolin... Just because people know the Dodgers and how they handle things on the pitching side, don't expect him to handle a full workload, and you don't expect a full 200-inning workhorse workload. But 150 innings from Tony Gonsolin in the 13th round, I love that. I mentioned Kirilov. I know you were kind of like, whoa, he's already off the board. I kind of caught you by surprise taking him in the 15th. Do you think there's room for him to push up quite a bit higher in the draft board as we get closer to opening day? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Jared Kalanick and Alex Kirilov are definitely going to just keep kind of gradually rising up boards. Um, you know, as soon as we get to spring training, people are going to just be losing themselves over like slow mo bids and these guys hitting home runs and stuff. And 
um, they're, you know, they're going to be going inside the top 200 and they're probably going to go like Kalanick probably is going to climb to around like 100, 125. Um, and then if it starts, you know, people start reporting that he could like break camp and stuff like that, then all of a sudden it might go inside the top 100. So I think, uh, you're still getting pretty good values on those two guys. Uh, Kirilov just had a heck of a summer in St. Paul and they obviously rewarded him on the highest stage that the twins ever get to the first round of the playoffs. And, um, you know, I think that that was a and big kind of, I mean, we, I think I talked about with you, uh, maybe some other people like the Eddie Rosario non-tender was not that surprising. Um, it's a shame that it wasn't surprising, but it just wasn't really surprising. And especially when you have a guy like Kirilov sort of that's, that's ready, that's waiting in the wings. So, um, you know, I think he, he spends the vast majority of the year in the big leagues. Um, yeah, I, I would rather have Randall Gritchick than Alex Kirilov. Uh, uh, pretty I like clearly Gritchick too, me. but I, I feel like in the twelfth, I don't know. I, I I don't hate it, but I looking into him, it, he did gain a lot in terms of the K percentage. He, he cut that down, but he I don't know. I feel like we've seen a lot of him and. The book's kind of out, so I don't see a lot separating him from the outfielders who went a little bit lower. But, yeah, Kirilov, the fact that they brought him in with the season on the line and asked him to kind of save save the organization. And then they've talked a lot about how good he looked at the alternate site and how much faith they have in Kirilov. So I like him. Kelnick went in the 14th round. So, yeah, I think that'll only tick up from there. By the way, you kind of mentioned when we first recorded the show that and you made a good point that it's great to do a mock draft and you, you kind of pass on closers and because you don't want to be the guy who in print you know, reach for some closer. Uh, but when push comes to shove and you have money on the line, you got to cover your bases and fill up those categories. And I was thinking when you said that, I think when push comes to shove, if I were doing this draft, picking 11th and I got Bieber, knowing that I had to get steals, maybe I would have taken Alberto Mondesi over Bryce Harper which is a crazy thing to to say because, well, not crazy, but like in real life standards, Bryce is a really productive hitter. Mondesi far more valuable in rotisserie than he is in, in real life, but as far as a hitter goes. But I feel like the roto impact, Alberto Mondesi is a unicorn, and I may, if I'm chasing an overall contest, push him up over some of these other names, and I guess I have to change my rankings on the site to reflect that. Yeah, the the only three hitters I would have been considering in your spot there would have been Harper, Mondesi, and Bichette, uh, and those were the three hitters that went. Um, you know, Mondesi went right after you took Harper. I, I think Mondesi's going to be going at the turn, probably in the main event. Um, yeah, he's just like you said, he's he's such a unicorn. Don't get sidetracked by uh, looking at his approach and thinking that he's going to lose playing time or anything like that like he just you kind of have to accept him for what he is um he's not billy hamilton he's he's better than that Mm -hmm. the royals clearly have him locked in as part of their their future and there's room for growth i mean even if he just kind of did what he did last year you'd take that in the second round um you know just given the stolen base output but uh, I mean, he could be, he could get better. Um, so I, I, I'm totally with you. I think Mondesi, 
Like if you go ace Mondesi ace, that really frees you up to kind of do whatever you want later in the draft. Yeah, and that's what I've learned throughout the years is kind of what I want to do with each pick is just keep my options open with each subsequent pick. And taking a guy like Mondesi checks so many boxes he could finish with no, as the number one overall player pretty easily. And people have it in his mind that he kind of had a bad year because he got off to such a slow start. But six homers and 24 bags in 59 games? You just don't see that. So getting a guy like that, um, yeah, I think if, if my money were on the line, I may uh, take Mondesi, which, yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow. But if you're playing Roto, uh, I think it's the right call. Now, do you feel like you had to take Aroldis Chapman in retrospect in the sixth round, or do you think you could have – covered saves a different way well i wanted to approach the draft like i did have money on the line Um, i tried to too but yeah like (laughs) look in hindsight i did not have to take chapman there because i got uh two and a half more closers who i like plenty uh later in the draft and craig kimbrell in the 13th uh richard rodriguez in the 18th and lucas sims in the 20th sims is kind of I'm giving him like a half closer notation right now. I think he, he at least will get some saves, but um, if I knew I was going to get those three where I got them, I definitely would not have taken Chapman there, but in a, in a real draft with money on the line, Chapman's going to go ahead of where I took him. Uh, Kimbrell's going to go ahead of where I took him. Richard Rodriguez is going to go ahead of where I took him. So uh, th- this is not a realistic way for things to play out. If there was cash on the line, Um, but I did, you know, I was picking sort of towards the, uh, towards the 15, uh, turn. And so I took Chapman in round six with it heading back, knowing that that was going to be kind of the the closer run. Liam Hendricks goes, Edwin Diaz goes, uh, Rysel Iglesias goes, uh, before he gets back to me. So I knew uh, Chapman is kind of my, like, I, I think Chapman and Hayter are the top two guys for me this year. Um, and Hader went in the fourth round, so I just I just love the kind of security that that you kind of get with Chapman. Um, I mean, you're drafting closers for saves, and he's going to get you saves. Uh, so I I was fine taking him there, but yeah, in hindsight, I did not have to take him there just due to the way this mock played out. Yeah, now when we co-managed the main event team last year, we targeted guys who were you know, crappy closers in the role, and that didn't really pan out for us, James. Seems like you're going back to that well, which I respect. I kind of want to, as I said, Karinchak, Devin Williams, two of my favorite targets in all of fantasy right now because I'm kind of swinging the other way where I just want the skills. And these guys are just so close to the role where I'd love to get those two guys. Then I got Daniel Bard, who does have the role and kind of fits that that just having the job mentality. Well, I don't think us getting crappy closers didn't work out last year. I mean, we did. I mean – like saves after we lost not, Wade Davis. We well, we lost we Wade Davis, and who was our other Kinsler and somebody? Well, we got Pomeranz. Yeah. So um, I just and we had I think did we I don't know whatever but um you know my the, the two things on Karinchek and Williams I don't like that Williams ended the year with a shoulder injury. I know that they cleared his designation. Um, they, they're basically saying he's healthy. I just I don't take teams at their word on that type of stuff. Um, and then with Karinchek, you know, it's just it's the walks. Like I I'm I'd put it at like ninety percent confidence that he opens here in that role. And to me, 
Like it's just not enough for me to take him where he's going. Um, even though I do, I do acknowledge that Karinchik and Williams both have like top five closer upside pretty easily. Yeah, I do feel like Cleveland could bring back Hand, but I the fact that they non-tendered him before makes me think that they're they're just going to move on and go th- most of, mostly with the pieces they have already on the team. But uh, yeah, that shoulder injury with Williams is a little scary. How did you approach uh, second base? I saw the position drying up and needed speed, so Altuve was a logical fit. Uh, how did you tackle that position? Uh, I didn't have a plan necessarily going in, but just, well, my plan to target middle infielders and outfielders who could be kind of across-the-board contributors, I just figured I'd end up with a second baseman. I wasn't sure which one. I would have happily taken Altuve if I had missed out on Kettle Marte. Um you know, I, I was going to take one of those guys there probably, or I might've waited for someone like, uh, Jake Cronenworth or, or something like that. But, um, I, I saw like looking back that second base and third base are the two uh, offensive positions other than catcher that I think dry up the quickest. Like once, once Edwin Rios is off the board and like Joey Wendell, and those guys are off the board around pick 300, just a little bit after that. Then there's there's pretty much nobody I want at those positions. Like Luis Urias, I'd be fine if he's like my my last uh, hitter on my bench or something. But um, I, I really think you gotta get your second baseman and your third baseman within the top 300, and ideally get guys who are also eligible at those positions to just kind of give you a backup option there. Because it, it just dries up so quickly to me at those two spots. And um, looking back, I do like I, I went after all those first basemen I love late, uh, and just kind of banking on the fact that one of them would be my util, one would be my corner, and uh, hopefully one would work out and be my starting first baseman. But if I could do it over, I would have taken Joey Wendell in the twenty second round over Nate Lowe. Uh, who at that point was my fourth guy eligible at first base just because I, I ended the draft without a backup at third to Austin Riley or to, or at second base to Kettle Marte. Yeah, it's those are some tough positions to figure out because second base seemed like it was kind of deep or getting kind of deep a few years ago. Now pretty top-heavy and definitely falls off a cliff. Third base, I got a guy who I know you're well, – I actually don't know how you feel about him anymore, but Jamer Candelario. Yep, uh, I, I like him too. Oh, do you? Um, okay, cool. I I know I, we kind of differed on Rowdy, but uh, I do kind of like Jamer as a, not like a huge breakout guy, but a guy who could uh, be a nice little filler let, piece. Can I can I give my quick case for Rowdy? Um, yeah, let's hear it. I, I got to make it on the first pod. And, uh, so he basically cut his strikeout rate in half last year, which like Jared Walsh is the other guy uh, who kind of did that. Um and Walsh seems to be getting a bit more buy-in from people than Rowdy. But I think Rowdy's got just as secure of a job as Walsh does. I mean, I think you're going to see him and Vlad in the lineup every day. It's not going to give them a ton of positional flexibility. Like, they're not going to be able to give Teoscar a ton of starts at DH. Maybe Rowdy sits against some lefties. But, I mean, he's just going to be hitting right in the middle of that lineup every day against righties. And I just think he's going to do a ton of damage. So... I uh, was hoping that people wouldn't get on him too much. Uh, I have seen some hype for him, but Eddie 
the, the two biggest sni- – well, the three biggest snipes for me in this draft were Rowdy Telez by Eddie in the 14th, and then you got the other two. Kirilov wasn't a snipe because I didn't even realize you'd taken him until a couple rounds later, and then uh, you got Yusei Kikuchi on me. Um, yeah, but, I was, I was yeah. expecting a text after the Kikuchi one, and I got one <laughs> within a few minutes. I do and, like, yeah, I do like him as a sleeper. Like, By the way, like you – Oh, go sorry. Ahead. I was just going to mention because uh, I didn't yet that you have input sleepers on in the Rotowire admin. So those are up on the site, uh, rotowire.com slash baseball slash sleepers dot PHP, I believe it is. You can also just search Rotowire MLB sleepers. But, yeah, you uh, those are all your picks and nearly every one of them has outlooks. So, um, yeah, you were generous with your uh, sleepers there, James. Uh, how did you handle – catchers because i said that really weird catchers catchers because i paid up for one and sean murphy and then kind of went toward the you know the bottom of the barrel there not necessarily in tyler stevenson he could be a breakout guy but elias diaz maybe just a stream in at home uh you went cheap with both of your guys was that a plan coming in um you know sort of i there was probably a breaking point where I would have taken guys like Sean Murphy or uh, James McCann or Dalton Varsho or Mitch Garver. Um, but I just, I never got to the point where I could pull the trigger and I don't want to force it at catcher. And I don't, I don't want to take catchers who I didn't plan on going after. And then just like, Oh, I can't believe he's still there. I'm going to take him. Like, I really want to use those first like 15 to 20 picks on players that either have a ton of upside or that I'm really confident in. And I'm just not that confident in any catcher other than JT Real Muto. So um, I just, it's not how I want to use my resources. If, if you hit on one, then it's a good pick. But if you, I mean, it's, I think the one thing where I think people, kind of get themselves trapped it kind of reminds me of like mid-tier prospects where like a lot of people just look at a guy and say like oh he's like the 55th ranked prospect he must be awesome um i mean most 55th ranked prospects bust uh even though they're inside the top 100 like that there's just not a high probability of those guys hitting and i think most (laughs) most catchers have a pretty high bust like percentage like None of these guys are, are super safe to me, especially in batting average leagues. I mean, they're like, yes, Monty Grandal is safe in an OBP league, but um, I, I just don't like using my resources that way. It, I'm going to have probably the worst offensive production from catcher in this league, uh, but I could also pick up this year's like Austin Nola off waivers or this year's like Martin Maldonado or Pedro Severino or whatever. Like, there, there are plenty of guys who go undrafted who can finish in the top 15 at catcher. Nice. Yeah, I kind of want to treat it in a similar way to how I want to handle saves and that I want to pay up for one option. Uh, maybe a guy like Darno, he's not going to cost you top dollar, but maybe you spend a mid-round pick on Darno, who's had a couple good years. Varsho, you talked about maybe run quite a bit for a, for a catcher, James McCann perhaps, and then kind of go dumpster diving from there. All due respect to these players, I don't don't mean that they're in the dumpster. But, uh, yeah, I think with – Closers to it. Maybe I didn't get that one guy, but then uh, I do feel confident in James Karinchak and Devin Williams. But then specking on Amir Garrett, you got Lucas Sims. I got Amir Garrett, Jonathan Hernandez. Uh, you got Zach Britton to back up uh, to back up, back up Chapman, but you didn't seem that interested in just throwing darts on the on the closer side. 
I, yeah, I just, I, I think it's a position that like the saves are getting more and more spread out, uh, every single year. And, um, it, it can be, you know, I, I approach this draft a specific way. Um, I, I love Craig Kimbrell this year. Like he's a, I think I've got him on all my teams so far. Um, I think Richard Rodriguez is a great value where he's going. I mean, they'll, they'll both be going a lot higher in March, but um, Kimbrell just very quickly was, was kind of like the old version of Kimbrell uh, down the stretch last year, if you were paying attention. So, um, and like he, his job security is, is up there with anyone. So uh, I, there's just guys I like in the middle rounds. There's not really anyone other than Lucas Sims who stands out to me as like a, I'm going to bet on the skills guy. Um, like I mentioned, like Giovanni Gallegos, like is a guy that kind of fits that mold to me, but they just have so many other options there. So it's, it's just really the fact that I like some of these guys in the middle and then I also do believe in getting one of the top guys if you can. Nice. I respect that. I do always like kind of throwing a few darts here in the end game and maybe trying to get a, a free closer essentially. So, yeah, I took Amir Garrett, Jonathan Hernandez, uh, and some other guys in this range. Garrett Crochet, kind of interesting. Uh, well, very interesting with that arm, but who knows if he's going to be closing. Definitely a speculative pick. Blake Trinan, some other guys in in this range who could end up closers. Jeremy Jeffers. Um I guess you could say Tanner Houck kind of fits that mold, but he's probably going to be starting with that rotation in the state it's in, right? Yeah, I took him expecting he'll be a starter all year. I think he, he earned that uh, the way he finished last year. Um, I actually I, I wrote his outlook that's up on the site right now, and I, I kind of emerged a a Tanner Houck optimist uh not a, I mean, it's not a bold statement given that he was dominant over three starts <laughs> to close the year, but uh, his slider is, I think it might be up there with a lot of the best sliders in the game. I think it's got the chance to be that kind of carrying pitch for a guy where it, he could maybe lean on it over 30% of the time. Um, I love the situation. Like that, that rotation is just kind of uh, not deep at all. So I think he will will have a pretty long leash there. Um, so I, you know, the, the command is a bit of an issue. Um, didn't really get to showcase the, uh, change it very much. Um, but he did not surrender a hit on his slider last year, uh, which is, which is interesting. Yeah. So I threw some speculative darts on the relief side. Yours were mostly on the starting pitching side there in the reserve rounds. Cal Quantrill, Hauk, Kyle Wright, Luis Patino. Patino struggled last year, but, Pretty good stuff, so we'll see what he can do. Uh, James, we have to talk about Wander Franco because we talked about Kelnick, obviously, and Kirilov. Look, we love Wander Franco, don't we, folks? But I think this year the price is a little exorbitant. Uh, I liked him last year when it was just an end game pick, see what happens, maybe he forces their hand. But there's a big difference between a mid-round pick and an end game pick, and I think this is just – too too much draft capital to invest a 15th round pick in a 15 team league for a guy who we know is kind of hurt right now we don't know the exact state of his health and we don't know if he's going to have a spot right i mean i think the you know we don't even like the the performance aspect like i don't think it's a lock that he would just kind of 
be an automatic top 100 guy if he did get the call. And then I don't really expect him to get the call till June at the earliest. Uh, this shoulder injury could could not have really come at a worse time for him. I, I think it's going to affect his ability to get ready for spring training. Um, it might prevent him from putting on the type of show in big league camp that he would need to, to, to be in the mix for an early promotion. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really pretty off Bronco for, for redraft leagues right now. I think, uh, Derek nailed the, the 25th round pick of Jeter Downs. I, I would have loved to have made that pick. I mean, I think he could be up very early. I think the, the decks are pretty clear for him at second base in Boston, but, um, yeah, Franco, Franco to me is going to be kind of a, you get him at a discount next year. Like that, that's sort of where this seems to be trending to me. Yeah. I just, you know, I think in the end game, you can absolutely speculate on some guys and, and play the stashing game. You know, we're always, it's always stash and season on this podcast, but I, yeah, there is just a huge difference between players in the, in the mid range and in the end game. And a lot of good players still on the board where Franco was going. So I'm, pr- I'm probably out this year. Uh, any other prospects catch your eye? I know, th- listen, this is a really hard offseason for you with no minor league games to <laughs> evaluate players. So you're trying to write, and you're doing a great job, by the way, but you're evaluating some guys who you have no stats to, to base things off of. And one guy who's particular, he's not prospect eligible anymore, I don't believe, but one guy who's going to be really hard to judge, Michael Kopech. Like, we haven't talked about him. We used to talk about him all the time on this show. How the heck do you treat Michael Kopech for next year? He is still eligible. Is he? Um, yeah, because he, he only he threw, like, less than 20 innings, I think, uh, before needing Tommy John. So I guess that um, makes sense. He, you know, I, I kind of am hands off at the moment. Um, you want to see how he looks in camp um you want to see how he looks in games how, how how is he doing throwing strikes i mean he he had really shaky uh control before the surgery and i know he's he's more further removed from tommy john surgery than maybe anyone ever uh because he uh was basically ready last year and then opted to to um, sit out the season so now he, he should be super rested but that doesn't mean they're going to let him go throw like 150 innings. Uh, So I think you got to expect them to manage him very carefully. Uh, It's not a lock that he is throwing enough strikes to be like, he he's the type of guy where he could shut down one of the best lineups in baseball over six innings and then get chased in the third inning, the next start, you know? So, um, I, you know, I'm okay missing the boat if he ends up having a great year. I would just feel a lot more comfortable investing uh, in 2021 or 2022, I should say, um, after I've seen him uh, pitch uh, since coming back from the surgery. Yeah, because you just have no idea from a health perspective or a performance perspective how what you're going to get there. So, yeah, Jason Collette took him and Michael Kopech in the 18th, definitely raised an eyebrow for me. It caught my attention. Collette followed up a few rounds later with TJ Antone, who did make your sleeper list. As a Reds fan, I love to see it. And, you know, right now I think we have him, what, sixth on the depth chart. Uh, but they seem to be selling off some pieces, and I think at least one of Gray or Castillo will be gone. So I have no real questions about Anton at least opening in the rotation. I Do, have do you some think questions Castillo about, could be good? You haven't heard those rumors? I mean, there's been a uh, lot of rumors. 
Okay. It's really a bummer, but I um I'd I'd love Castillo even more if he was gone. Uh, <laughs> that that'd be great. Like the one I honestly I I didn't draft him uh I didn't really target him last year just because I remember just seeing his defense let him down just in brutal fashion several times uh the year before. Oh, that twenty nineteen like, Reds defense. I don't know. Who <laughs> <laughs> <It> was uh <laughs> What was that guy's name? Forget him. He's no longer with Josh the team. Van Meter. Van Meter. Josh yes. Van Meter. Thank you. Yeah. He was. Yeah. Josh brutal. Van Meter plays a mean left field. <laughs> Van Meter Winker outfield. <laughs> uh, that was that was rough. Um, well, let's, I I I want to talk Anton. about Andrew Vaughn really quick okay. since I I took I took Vaughn in the seventeenth. Um, not as confident in Vaughn being up as early as Kirilov and Kalinick. But I think he is the next guy, like after those two, where all the talk coming from uh, that front office has basically been openly acknowledging that he could be the replacement to Edward Encarnacion at DH. And it, it seemed like he really impressed a lot of people at the alternate site. And just kind of his natural trajectory uh, developmentally uh, he probably would have debuted last year if it had been a full 162 game season. So uh, there's a chance Vaughn could be up in April, and I, you know, I, I don't expect him to hit for a, a high average. Like I would, I would expect him to hit like maybe 250. Um, but he's going to get on base a ton. He's going to hit for a ton of power. Uh, so yeah, I, I like Andrew Vaughn. If you miss out on like Kirilov and and Kellenic, and you're looking for a prospect to, to roll the dice on, yeah, I was pretty jealous of that one and the Nate Low pick. So yeah, you loaded up there on first baseman in that range: Vaughn, Belt, Cooper, Low, and yeah, that that approach on going cheap at that position may may look really good when we look back at this. Uh, just real quick note as far as uh, overseas players: Ha Seung Kim. Went pretty high, actually. Went in the eleventh uh, round of Paul Spore. I really liked Todd Zola's pick of Na Sung Bum, who, when I was watching the Dinos every now and then, um, covering the KBO as part of the duties for the site earlier this year. I, every time I'd watch, he was just crushing. And I feel like, especially where he's going compared to Ha Sung Kim, who's definitely getting some hype. I think Bum maybe or Na Sung Bum maybe the better target. Also, but isn't 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 he like our age? <laughs> maybe, but he's got a stick, man. I can hit. I, he may be a DH, though. Uh, but I did want to mention uh, the guy that Ian Khan drafted, Tomoyuki Sugano. A pretty nice target. Sounds like he's going to have a lot of suitors, probably pitching for a contender. And you uh, you tweeted something about him recently, right? I forget what it was. Yeah, I, I just I tweeted. Uh, I've been working on my uh, first-year player draft stuff there's going to be a lot of that coming uh after christmas hopefully in between christmas and the new year but um yeah i just tweeted my top 12 in terms of international uh free agents and yeah sugano is kind of right in the middle of the pack like if it's a 20 team first year player draft i think sugano should probably go early second round um eric halterman has a great piece on the site uh, about eight guys from the KBO and NPB for 2021 and then eight guys uh, for future seasons for those of you in dynasty leagues. And 
Sugano, in, in his mind, compares pretty favorably to guys like uh, Masahiro Tanaka, Kenta Maeda when they made the jump. Um, so, you know, he's not that interesting for Dynasty, but if he just comes in and is a top 40 starter and you get that for like four or five years, that's, that's pretty solid. So uh, I like him more. I, I think we've seen guys like Sagano come over and have success much more often than we've seen guys like Sun Bum Na come over and have success. Um, I mean, like the KBO, like I'm, I'm kind of fence on, on Haseon Kim just because it's, it is, it is a jump in competition for him. And um, you know, the, the stolen base, success rate like he'll be running against catchers with better throwing arms over here um i'm not saying the pick was was bad in the 11th but i just because of the speed factor the the fact that people think they might be getting a power speed guy i, I think he's just going to be going higher and i'm comfortable taking him yeah i feel like just given the uncertainty with him people are drafting him with just with more certainty than I'm willing to, to bake in. I mean, maybe the major league equivalencies portend really good things, but I just, being as it's mostly sight unseen outside of maybe a few KBO games, I'm just looking at him and I'm hesitant to uh, fully invest at the price. By the way, uh, Nasung Bum, James, homer totals throughout the years in the KBO, all batting over 300, by the way, but uh, 30, 28, 22, 24. 23-4 because he missed most of 2019 with a, a knee injury only playing in, in 23 games and then 34. So I, I don't know. I think but, the back but if he'd been doing material. if he'd been doing that in the PCL, would you care? <laughs> Probably not. He is 31 as you as you suggested. Um, so he is not in fact my age quite yet. He's a little young. I I do have some some good news for you on the Reds front. Um, oh yeah. So the I've been doing a ton of research on the uh, guys who are going to sign on January 15th, which is the new July 2. Uh, it sounds like that's going to be an annual thing kind of going forward here um, where it's on January you know, 15th. You know what that July day is? My birthday. Big, big day. Uh, well, you're going to get a birthday present uh, because I think the Reds might have the best signing class this, wow. this year. That'd be a great like, present, honestly. Yeah, uh, they've got some good news as a Reds fan. I think they've got five guys that I'm going to put in my top 100 um, just from the international side alone. So, um, pretty nice haul. Uh, I know it's it's might be a rough season for you, but um, at least it seems like they sort of know what they're doing on that side of things now. Yeah, and it, I don't want to be greedy as a Reds fan because they did spend a hundred million dollars last off season. The most they've ever spent, but you hate to see them just shut the window after going for it once. You know, that's kind of a bummer. It does seem like they're well, they're definitely shedding payroll. Maybe Moose is gone. I saw rumors with him. Maybe Luis and Sonny. It could be a total uh, fire sale there with the Reds. Anything else on your mind, James? Anything you want to mention? Anything else first-year player draft related uh, that's coming? Um. It's just it's going to be uh, a lot of stuff. You know, the the amateur board that's up there right now that's going to be changed to the first year player draft uh, top one hundred, and so that'll include everyone um, from guys who were drafted this past year in the twenty twenty draft to guys who signed from 
uh, the Dominican, Venezuela, um, Colombia, Panama, like that, they're all going to sign January 15th. And then you're also going to have uh, the, the players that Eric touched on in his article coming over from the KBO and the NPP. Um, so those guys will all be ranked in the same place. Um, uh, most people aren't going to be doing their first year player drafts till after uh, Clay's birthday, but uh, that'll be up there. And then um, I'm going to do an article. Uh, I'm kind of excited for this article. It's, it's basically, I'm going to go through like the first uh, hundred picks. I mean, I might clump some picks together, but you know, pick a spot. Like if you're picking 17th, like I'll say, here are the players that you should check to see if, did they fall to you? If so, you take them. Um, should you trade this pick? If certain players aren't there, like I'm going to give you kind of all that for sort of pick by pick, um, kind of how I would approach each pick if it were, if it were me drafting. That's going to be awesome, man. We'll look forward to that. Also a programming note, Ian Kahn's going to join us on MLB network radio. He's going to join Todd Zola and myself talk more about this mock draft so we'll be talking with him uh, the day after christmas on mlb network radio if you get time otherwise check it out on the app uh again all of our draft content is up the first wave of draft content more to come more added pretty much every day so check it out also on the ios store you have an ios device and really i want to apologize again to everybody who tried to listen to the show earlier i did what i could I'm not like a sound. I'm not a sound professional, James. Uh, did what I could. Hopefully this version's a lot better, and uh, thanks for giving us another go. And take care. Hope you'll be with us next time on the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.